a number of people uh, have been getting uh, reporting, uh, getting sick uh, from eating a, a very popular breakfast cereal. Uh, the breakfast cereal is uh, Lucky Charms. Uh, now, you can make the argument, uh, <clears throat> this was in the States, the FDA has received, uh, like I say, about 100 complaints just this year, and some have come from Canada as well, uh, of people getting sick from eating Lucky Charms. Uh, and I'm sure there are some right now that are saying, even if they're not contaminated, uh, you're probably getting sick from eating Lucky Charms anyway uh, in the long term. Uh, joining us on the line is Dr. Dylan McKay, and I have to ask him about his name, Assistant Professor in Nutrition and Chronic Disease at the University of Manitoba. Uh, Dr. McKay, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, has anyone ever said anything to you about your name, Dylan McKay, just before we get into anything else? Yeah, well, you know, I like to say the uh, character was based on me, but I'm uh, probably not old enough. <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, as soon as I heard your name on the, was on the show today, I go, oh, the Dylan McKay, that brings a bell. Yes, of course, that was uh, Beverly Hill 90210 uh, back in the day, the, the late, great Luke Perry playing uh, Dylan McKay. Um, were your parents fans of that show? No, I was born uh, just a little before the show, but I heard it a lot. <laughs> when, when the show was popular, that was the number one uh, comment when uh, when people uh, people met me. Okay, well, thanks for humoring me. I appreciate that, Dr. McKay. Um, let me ask you, I, I, I'm talking that, you know, there's a number of complaints uh, filed with the FDA. Uh, people reported that they're getting sick uh, from eating uh Lucky Charms. But besides that, like I'm assuming there's some sort of contamination or, or something happening there. But the thought of eating Lucky Charms, if anyone's ever looked in one of those boxes, and I have in the last couple of years, because my daughter was hounding me to get those, and I was like, I'm never buying these. And I looked in the box, and it doesn't even look like, the charms don't even look like real food. Yeah, I mean, the funny story about that, I think we got a box for free once, and my kids, you know, they'd have been asking about it, and they just never even eat them. They like they had it once, and they didn't like them. But, uh, you know, they, they've, they've got that those bright colors and, you know, attractive potential to, to kids, you know, that's one of those things that's marketed to children. So uh, breakfast cereals like that, um, that's what clearly, clearly the audience is for kids. Uh, but my kids don't really like the taste. So uh, they, they're pretty much, they pretty much avoid them. When I was a kid, we used to have, uh, and I can't believe it, but you know, fruit loops and apple jacks and, and all that. Now, and now that I'm a parent, I don't have any of that in my house. And when I look at them, I think, have the cereals changed or were they always the same? They seem worse now, but it could um, be my just imagination. I think they've actually probably improved. Um, and, and, you know, so in that case, I'll probably say imagination. I remember right. when I was a kid, they had them. And, you know, I think a lot of the companies have been reformulating to get their sugar down. And, and you know, uh, pretty much all of the ones that are directed at kids these days try to have whole grains as the first ingredient. So that's actually what Lucky Charms has. It's primarily oats, if you can imagine that. But the, you know, the, uh, the little marshmallow shapes and stuff is primarily sugar and like, you know, five or six different types of it, uh, if you read the uh, ingredients. But I actually think the uh, breakfast cereals have probably been improving since we were kids. Um, but uh, the perception of them has probably been changing a lot. Now, look, I don't think it would come as a surprise to anyone that, you know, obviously what we put in our bodies dictates how our bodies react and how our bodies make its way uh, through our life. Um, do it seems that you know I, I don't want to use the term obesity, but just you know whether it's overweight seems to play a major role, and what we eat plays a major role in why people do get sick. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, in terms of chronic disease burden and things like that, it's uh, I wouldn't say 
you know, uh, overweight and obesity is very common in, in many developed countries now and in, in developing countries. And, and they're associated with uh, that, that kind of uh, conditions are associated with adverse health outcomes, right? You know, it increased, it's associated with increased risk of diabetes and, uh, you know, diabetes and, and obesity is associated with increased risk of things like chronic kidney disease. Um, I would say that it's likely more related to the amount of calories now our energy imbalance rather than what we're eating, but that contributes as well, right? There are foods that were, uh, you know, that are quick, that are very dense and have lots of energy and they're easy, easy to overeat and, and, you know, tip that energy balance lead to weight gain or make it hard for us to maintain our weight. Uh, and, uh, and that, that can, you know, that, that over time is associated with, uh, you know, negative health outcomes in general is so is the key weight is the key exactly the type of food you're eating like what what's the key or well, there's no the answer, there's no one key yeah you know so if i knew the answer to that i'd be uh, you know i'd be pretty sick you know <laughs> that's that's a big question right uh we we have sort of this diet wars where people you know you know you could get 10 researchers like me in the room and and we'd all sort of have disagreeing opinions on what the best diet is, right? Uh, for the most part, we can all agree that it's uh, a diet that probably focuses a lot on, on fruits and vegetables. You know, those are not not driving strongly associated with uh, with uh, increased weight gain. Um, but, but it, you know, if, if it's about gaining weight or maintaining weight, it's about energy intake and it's about balancing uh, eating the amount of energy we need to sustain our activity, but, but not more because that will lead to, to weight gain over time, right? Um, and, and if the, the, the foods we have, they're mostly fruits and vegetables, that tends to be associated with healthy diets. Uh, look, we, we've all know that, you know, fruits, vegetables, that's the way to go, but it seems like the message gets lost, uh, you know, on people. Uh, and, and I'm not sure again, when you're talking about your health, but we all do a lot of things that I guess aren't necessarily good for us. Uh, and we know they're not good for us, but we still do them anyway. Mm-hmm. So what, what is, what, what are the answers? Like as far as like, not so much the answers, but what, like we spend so much money on chronic illness. Like there's so much resources in our healthcare system. We spend so much on things that, you know, again, as opposed to treating something, if we looked at maybe preventing it in the first place would probably go a long way. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely have to have to say that prevention, if you, if you look at some type of disease course where we have, you know, serious chronic uh, diseases, take something like chronic kidney disease, uh, which, as I said before, is associated with things like type 2 diabetes or, or you know, uh, about obesity. If we could have intervened or there's some type of intervention that can be done earlier, it, it leads to better quality of life for, for the individuals that are affected by those conditions. It saves money for the healthcare system. But, but that's, you know, what kind of interventions are possible? Um, and I think one of the big things that we might kind of think around obesity and chronic disease is how much are individuals able to, to make changes that are required and, and how much is really up to them. Uh, personally, I think there's lots of systemic factors and barriers that uh, that can make it hard for people to, to make changes in their own diet and their own lives to avoid these chronic conditions. So I, I'm really a big proponent of systematic change that change the food environment, change the way people's lifestyles are to, to help them avoid chronic disease, you know, uh, building healthier cities, build, building healthier food systems. Because when we download problems on individuals, I think uh, uh, it sets people up for failure, you know, a little bit 
a little bit of like the pandemic response right now. I, I'm more for system uh, systematic changes to protect people rather than, you know, it's everyone's individual responsibility to look after themselves because we can do a lot more together than we can individually, if that makes any sense. But, you know, things like having lunch programs in schools that, that, uh, and teaching children early on, uh, you know, good home economics uh, skills, how to cook, how to shop, how to budget for food. Um, those types of skills are likely to have longer term impacts that, that can, can reduce chronic disease ra- rather than trying to tell people uh, individually that they have to improve their diet, uh, doing things that, that can impact lots of people. Uh, together. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Dylan McKay, Assistant Professor in Nutrition and Chronic Diseases at the University of Manitoba. And uh, Doctor, you mentioned uh, kind of in uh, just before the break about, you know, w- we can't expect people to do it all themselves. And there's some systemic things that are that are kind of in our way or, or maybe stopping us. Can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, I mean, like, individually, um, you know, you can intervene on a person uh, to to impact their energy balance, but you know the these are tougher interventions to to bring about, likely politically, and and you know they impact populations. But um, you know systemic interventions against um, chronic disease can include things that uh, facilitate physical activity. Uh, you know green spaces, the way we design cities to make walking or biking or active transportation. Um, more, uh, you know, easier to do, uh, help with the energy balance in populations. Um, we can have policies around, uh, food marketing. You know, we, we can intervene on how foods are marketed. Maybe foods are marketed to children. There can be regulation on, on the formulation of foods and things like that. Uh, potentially, uh, where food is sold and how there's constant proximity to food. But these are interventions that, that can be, you know, challenging because it, it bumps up against convenience and, and, and a lot of the ways we've designed our society. Uh, why certain foods are cheap and why others are expensive can, can often be, you know, because of uh, incentivizations, at, at least in, in some countries, uh, by what's subsidized and what's not. So if you're subsidizing things that turn into less healthy foods, then they're more affordable for people. Uh, and then you have sort of a economic potential economic drivers of, of chronic disease that are related to food. Uh, so there's, there's lots of different uh, ways you could think about intervening, you know, uh, some, you can look at healthier cities where they have less chronic disease and, 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 you know, less issues with obesity and overweight. And there's also behavioral pan, paddle, uh, patterns. So um, those would be ones where I think, you know, more education for children around home economics and the importance of, of how to create healthy meals and how to shop for healthy meals uh, um, could lead to, to a meaningful, you know, reductions in chronic disease using, using nutrition. Um, otherwise, you know, if you, if you just say it's on the individual person, you know, uh, we are assuming that a lot of people have the capacity to make the changes uh, themselves. And, and I don't, I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily buy that, that, that we have that autonomy sometimes in society, you know, if we're, you know, we're working multiple jobs, or we don't have the time or means or, or knowledge to, to make those changes, then, then telling us to make those changes um, doesn't seem very fair. You know, I, I used to think, uh, you know, er, everything in moderation, as long as I'm not doing anything to the extreme, uh, that's probably okay. But maybe that isn't the case at all. Maybe there's certain things I should be cutting out altogether. Like I think a lot of people live that maybe if I, you know, as, as long as everything's I'm in moderation, I should be okay. You know, I mean, 
that that's it, it, cut, it cuts both ways, right? You have people who swear that for them it works by just never allowing anything, uh, and other people have to have the moderation because if they cut it cut something out, they just crave it all the time, and it, it breaks their their patterns. Um, so you know the, the the saying everything in moderation, including moderation, is just kind of the, <laughs> the, the cop out answer to that one. But uh, you know there might be some personalization too, right? We, we have to find the thing that works for for the individual and their circumstances. You know, uh, in terms of what works for a diet, right? And there's lots of other factors outside of health that that dictate what people eat, right? There are cultural practices and and you know religious uh, beliefs and things that dictate our diet. It, it's it's much more than just uh, and social factors that that dictate how we eat, when we eat, and things like that. So, food's much more than just food. Uh, you know, a fuel. Uh, you know, there's the, there's emotional connection to f- uh, to food and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's everything in moderation, including moderation, is probably my, my response there. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a very well uh, put. And you know what? I didn't even think about uh, as you said. You know, whether it's a cultural thing at a certain holidays, uh, we all eat deep fried something. And you're like, okay, it's the holidays, but yeah, we probably shouldn't be having these things. Uh, you know, I, right? I, exactly. But but you know, uh, it's those special occasions. They have meaning to people, and they're they're part of connecting within in, in other other people or you know your family. And and healthy connections with other humans is very important for mental health. And mental health is very important for physical health. So you know, just teetotaling completely on those types of foods because you know. I have this rule around my diet. It may not. It may not get the health benefit you want. You can. You can have those foods every now and then. I think uh, it's. It's about that moderation again. You know, and it's about uh, in terms of chronic disease risk. It tends to be associated with you know excess energy for long periods of time. You know, the, the impact of diet on health is gradual and long term. So so it's uh, it's you know making healthier choices, not all the time necessarily. I think, but but most of the time or as, as often as possible. Uh, one of the things you're working on now, I understand, is delivering fruits and vegetables as, as not so much as food, but as a treatment for some people with chronic uh, kidney disease. Uh, yeah, can can you so, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, I actually wrote a, 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 an article once about how I didn't like the idea of food as medicine. Uh, and so people are just going to, you know, say you're totally, <laughs> totally going back on your own uh, statements before. But I still don't like seeing food in, uh, as as an, as a medicine. But um, so people with chronic kidney disease, um, as their uh, kidney uh, uh, kidney function decreases, uh, can have issues with. Um, removing acid from their blood and they can end up with a a condition called metabolic acidosis. And and so chronic kidney disease, unfortunately, is a, is a condition that affects a lot of people in Canada and towards the later stages of chronic kidney disease, upwards of 25% of the individuals can have this condition called metabolic acidosis. And it's literally your blood is getting more acidic and it's related with to a, a lot of bad things, but in particular, it's associated with increased risk of, you know, advancing to end stage renal failure or going on dialysis as well as, as, as mortality dying. So it's definitely something that you want to avoid. And right now it's treated by, you know, taking sodium bicarbonate or essentially baking soda. Uh, you know, your blood's too acidic and you add some base uh, and it's, it's not a fun treatment to take. If you can imagine a, you know, a science volcano at a science fair kind oh, of thing, yeah. you're literally taking a bunch of these tablets a bunch of times a day. And, and what that's doing is sort of 
neutralizing acid in your diet. Another approach to treating that might be to lower, uh, to add bicarbonate equivalent or basic foods to your diet. And it turns out that fruits and vegetables are, are good sources uh, of basic foods. Uh, and there's been a couple of studies actually that looked at uh, comparing the normal treatment, which is the sodium bicarbonate tablets, to uh, fruit and vegetable deliveries. And th those were conducted in sort of inner city um, uh, Texas uh, neighborhoods where, where the churches delivered um, fruits and vegetables to members of the church with chronic kidney disease. Um, and they showed to be just just as good or equivalent to the to the uh, medications that we're using to treat that right now. And so um, I've been working with a colleague who's a, a kidney doctor, a nephrologist, and uh, we want to see if it can work in Canada. Uh, but we want to take it a step further. And, you know, because the pandemic has made everybody so used to getting to groceries delivered directly to their house and the grocery stores have Dylan. been... Uh, yeah. So, sorry, Dr. McCann, I'm up against it, uh, the clock. I, I've, I've got to cut you off. I am so sorry. Uh, Dr. Dylan McKay, uh, Assistant Pro uh, Professor of Nutrition Chronic Disease at the University of Manitoba.